Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 17 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alex Robinson of the Star Wars Minute. Welcome back, Alex. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad. I, I, I hope that yesterday's episode, you know, made you a little intrigued as to what is going on in Die Hard, and I'm glad to see that you're back for another day to see, you know, what happens to these characters who are doing things completely different than what you thought there would be in an action movie. <laughs> yeah, this minute certainly continues the trend. I uh, It's very tempting to watch the rest of the movie, but I, I must insist on keeping my my moratorium in place for the sake of my own um, interestingness. Well, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see how that goes by the end of the week. Maybe maybe we'll be able to try to, you know, try to try to break break through that little barrier. But who knows? You know, I, I know that the best. answer is I know I know your answer is going to be no, but you know we can, we could try. You know, I I don't think there's any harm in trying. You know, especially to you know a chance. Of there's always a chance. Wait, there's a chance of harming you, or there's a chance that you might change your mind. Both. <laughs> Both. And neither. Okay. Well, let's put it this way: I we're we're on the opposite sides of of the globe. I don't think I'm going to be able to hurt you. <laughs> All right. Not even verbally. Emotionally, and I, I, and I wouldn't try. Okay. Emotionally, okay. Well. <laughs> let's hope not you know i i want us to still remain friends mm-hmm. after this week alex come on or acquaintances how's that i you know <laughs> colleagues. colleagues okay that's fine too that's fair <laughs> so minute 17 begins with john and holly continuing to bicker and ends with the pacific courier truck turning a corner and coming straight at the screen so Dramatic. Yeah, seriously. Too bad this wasn't a 3D movie. You know that 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 one shot just looks like a 3D. But we'll we'll get there at the end of the minute. So <laughs> yesterday's minute ended with with John and and Holly bickering and complaining about the fact that uh, you know she's got a fake reason of why she's using her maiden name, <laughs> and you know John just thinks that she's doing it in order to take all of his hard earned. Uh, New York City police detective, uh, you know, salary. Who knows? That's sweet fifty-five thousand he's making. There you go. <laughs> if he's lucky. <laughs> so yesterday we did a little bit of research. I did a little bit of research about the fact that you know what John's salary is, and you know, it's very difficult to try to figure out what Holly's salary should be. But my assumption is is that if he was making fifty thousand as a detective, she's making at least a hundred. Because she's supposed to be the number two or number three person in this in this company. And it's a Japanese company, and this was at a time when Japanese companies were very uh, – yes. it was a very big time for Japanese business. So, uh, yeah, it's probably a good a safe assumption. Yeah, exactly. So uh, then their their argument will gets a little more heated, and Holly goes, are we going to have this conversation again? We did this in July, which, you know, we established mm-hmm. – Two weeks ago, when he was in his limo limo ride to the office, the fact that, you know, it's been six months since she came from New York to to L.A. So obviously Mm -hmm. now we know it's July, you know, and then the response is we never finished this conversation in July. I had an opportunity. I had to take it. So, I mean, they, they leave things a little ambiguous here about, you know, what how this whole thing worked. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that she's able to be so high up in this company 
means that she was still, she must have had a pretty good job in New York also. You know, whether she was working yeah. for Nakatomi or she was working for some other company, it doesn't really make a difference. You know, she, you, you don't automatically, it sounds as if she was a housewife and, you know, applied on a whim for, for a top level executive position in a Japanese company. And wow, okay, we're going to take you and we're going to fly you across the country. She, she obviously has some credit to, you know, she, she must have had a pretty good resume before that. She's been climbing the corporate ladder. Exactly. Completely. So, you know, when, when she basically says I had an opportunity and I had to take it. So, you know, the question also is brought up. So why did she have to take it? Is it because that she and John were already starting to have fights and she's like, here's a, here's something, you know, I have a great opportunity. I can get away from him for six months or however long it's going to take, or is it that, okay, I've been given a great business opportunity. This is something that no one else has given me this chance beforehand. And, you know, part of the deal is I got to move to California. You know, it's, it's left yeah. very ambiguous. There's, there's no definitive answer on that one. Yeah. Um, I wonder why that is from a movie making point of view. I right. mean, maybe they just don't want to get in, the details kind of aren't really important. This is just sort of a little backdrop story with which to frame right. the whole overall plot yeah. and stuff. Okay. It's now, really, you know, it's like this... really a relationship drama. Correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know that this is based on a novel, right? Do you know that? I did not know that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's it's based on a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, mm -hmm. which came out in the late mm -hmm. 70s. It was actually a sequel to a, uh, another novel that he wrote in the 60s called The Detective, which was made into a movie with Frank Sinatra. Okay, huh. so it was a 1968 movie with Frank Sinatra where he played the detective. And when they made Die Hard they had a big problem because part of Sinatra's clause in his contract for the detective was as if they ever make a sequel with the same character, he gets to play the character. Okay. <laughs> so I, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I, th I think he must've been in his seventies at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Would have been a yeah, little least, different. Yeah. John McClane, but in, in the novel, he's actually a retired police officer. He's actually, he's in his sixties and he's going to LA to visit his daughter, not his, not his wife. So things are a little different with the way that thing plays out, you know. Did they buy Sinatra off? How did they get out of that? No, they offered it to him and he's like, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, okay. So he just I, turned it down. I so. think, I, yeah, I think he just turned it down. I think, I think everyone okay. knew, including Sinatra, that this just, <laughs> this isn't a vehicle for, for him. In, in 1988. <laughs> so somewhere out there, there's this unknown diehard, diehard zero is out there somewhere. Well, it, well it's not somewhere out there. It, it is out there. I mean, I've seen the movie. But I mean, I've it's not like, movie. it's not like it's ever shown. It's not like I've ever seen it or, or not that I've ever well, you seen, haven't seen Die Hard. Hard. You haven't seen Die Hard. I mean, Why would you see like Die Hard I've, Zero? I've never, I've never <laughs> heard of this movie before. And I mean, it's never like, oh yeah, when Die Hard is played, you see it played with that. You know what I mean? It's, it's. Well, because it's not as good. There's, you know, it's, it's right. not a Die Hard type of movie. It's about a detective who's trying to solve a murder. You know, it's a typical procedural. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Huh. It was, it was very innovative for its time because of the subject matter. I mean, it was talking about, you know, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember the different things that, that, that they talked about. It talked about body mutilation and it talked about, you know, uh, different types huh. of, of seedy 
places in New York and things like that. There's, you know, and, and to think Frank Sinatra's in a place like in, in a movie like that was also, you know, not yeah. something that you would think of. You know, so it's kind of like that Red Dragon movie they did with where Brian Cox was uh, Hannibal Lecter. No, that wasn't. Was that Red Dragon? Where that was Red Dragon or Mind Mind Hunter? Yeah, Mind Hunter, right, right, Mind Hunter. Was it? Wait, Red was it Mind Hunter? Based on Red Dragon. Right. I think was it. Yeah, I think it was. Based on Red someone Dragon. else played. Someone played. Yeah, Brian yeah, yeah. yeah. Played, no, I remember. I remember Hannibal Lecter before. Yeah, so it's like that where Frank Sinatra. Played John McClane in a early uh, version of version of it, yeah. Same character. I don't. I don't yeah. think it was called Mindhunter though. For some reason, I don't remember. Hmm. You know, that's what the internet's for. But uh, <laughs> yeah. do do you know who? Do you know that that Bruce Willis was like the seventeenth actor that they offered this role to? I, mean, I believe it. Like you said yesterday, it's he was doing moonlighting at the time, so I'm sure they offered it to the other big movie stars at the time. Yeah. You know, and any guesses? Schwarzenegger exactly. and there you go, there you, you know, go. The, so the usual. The uh, person they really wanted. I'm not to sure how far to. down the line they went. Did they get to like Chuck Norris and and you know Steven Seagal? And oh, actually, Steven Seagal probably wasn't even a thing yet, was he? Uh, Steven Seagal was right at the beginning of his career at that point, because right. ab- above the law yeah. came out in like I think eighty six or eighty seven, something like that. So uh-huh. here's the, here's the quick list of of people who were who were offered but all declined. All right, you have uh, mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Burt Reynolds, Michael Madsen, and Richard Gere. Yeah, those, none of those are really especially surprising. That makes sense that it would get passed around from person to person. Yeah, exactly. And, and I wonder how many of them actually kicked themselves afterwards and saying, oh, I wish I would have been in this movie. Hmm. But you I mean, can't even answer that. Because, of course, <laughs> if it was someone else, then, then like, if Charles Bronson was in it, then the movie night might not have been popular. You know? Right. It would have exactly. just been another, another, you know, action movie. So. Another Charles Bronson action movie. Yeah. Yeah. They had to wait till Expendables so they could put all of them into, into one movie. Right. Exactly. All the actors who turned down Die Hard into one movie. Correct. And then John's response to her after she said, I had to take it, was right. No matter what the consequences. No matter what it did to our marriage, you had to. And then she she has a nice little quip, which is pretty brutally honest, where she goes, it didn't do anything except make maybe change your idea of what our marriage should be. Now, do you have any idea what they're talking about here? What do, what do you think they're trying to say about their what they what each of them think of the marriage? Well, I'm going to guess that Bruce Willis is threatened by the fact that his wife would be earning twice as much money as he was. Because why doesn't he move to? Why didn't he want to move to L.A.? Is that ever? He mentions. He mentions. Addressed? He does mention it that he has a a, a backlog, an eighteen month backlog of of New York scumbag that he's trying to put away, and he can't just get up and and move to L.A. That's his excuse. Yeah, because there's no there's no scumbags in L.A. If no one catches those New York scumbags, then, then like oh, if he does those, if he catches that last remaining batch of scumbags, then New York will be safe, and then he can. Like, that seems like a lame excuse. Yeah, so for I think sure this it is. is a bit of a. It is. I think he's a bit of threatened by the fact that she's earning more money than than he would be, and so on. And right, but but based on the yeah, based on the logic that we mentioned earlier, you know, she she must have had a nice paying job beforehand, also. Right, but I guess now it's like now you have to give up your job to come move somewhere else whereas before he could kind of at least he was still working at the same job so right. it wasn't you know now it's like you know 
uh, cards are on the table. Like you, right now, you really have to move out if, if your wife is going to pursue her own uh, career. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. Yeah, this does seem like something that should have been brought up. Or maybe I guess it just never came. You know, he never thought she would get the job in L.A. and take it. No, but maybe he didn't think. No, seventeen remaining scumbags. Right, exactly. I mean, he mentioned it earlier. No, not seven. He said eighteen months of scumbags. Eighteen, eighteen month back. Months of scumbags. Yeah, not not seventeen. Not seventeen scumbags. (laughs) I wonder how many scumbags that is, though. I I don't know. (laughs) I mean, we went through a whole list that week of of what the word scumbag means, so you can go back and and listen to that to to hear all the. We 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 opened the thesaurus and we got like thirty different. You know, versions of what scumbag means. Right. So we're, we're not going to rehash that one. But, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that it, it seems basically that they're just trying to find an excuse to have the two of them argue here. I, I don't, it, I mean, most of their arguments don't hold much water with the way that they, yeah, I mean, it's, again, like, it's, not, it's not really meant to be the, no one really cares. No one. Exactly. Is, no, one exactly. Is, yeah. you just no want to see stuff get blown up and, and people fighting, you know, no one exactly. really cares about the, the specifics exactly. of their, uh, completely, you know. completely. And then, uh, you know, he says to her, I don't think you have a clue what my idea of our marriage should be. And she goes, I know exactly what your idea of our marriage should be. So again, it's back and forth saying the same thing, you know, trying to, you know, make things sound a lot more complicated than it really is. You know, I, th- I think yeah, it goes, I th- I th- yeah, yeah. I, I think you're hundred percent right with what you said. His version is, is that, okay, you know, I'm threatened by the fact that my wife is getting paid more. She's going to try and make me move across the country. I don't want to do that. I'm happy with what I'm doing and, you know, yeah. let her go, let her try things out. Hopefully it's not going to work out and then she'll come back home, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's mentioned, it's, he mentions it to the limo driver that's what he was hoping for, you know, that, that she's just going to, you know, that it wouldn't work out and she'd come back. And it, it, that, that says a lot about their marriage. If, if that's the thing, like, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound to me a very healthy marriage. If you're, you're hoping that your spouse fails <laughs> in order, in order for things to work then better for you. To me. What? <laughs> then she'll come back to me. Once exactly. she's totally, if she fails and is totally humiliated, then I'll get her. Back. That's right. Completely. So it's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the irony of this whole thing is, is that in the beginning of Die Hard 2, we find out that he's an L.A. cop. So he does mm. end up moving to L.A. <laughs> hmm. So, but then Die Hard 3. get back with her, though. No. Oh, no. In Die Hard 2, yes. But Die Hard 3, he's back in New York. Yeah. That, so that he, he keeps jumping back and forth. You know, Die Hard 4, yeah. he's still in New York. And Die Hard 5... He's geriatric. I don't remember. You know, <laughs> that's going to be a fun Finally one to do if I ever get to it. Back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if Die Hard Five, he's in Russia. So whatever. He's mm-hmm. trying to save his son in Russia, something like that. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully eventually get to that. You know, who knows? <laughs> and and then, you know, we, we actually hear a knock on the door and then her secretary comes in. You know, we, we met her secretary, Ginny. Uh, a few, I think about uh, a week and a half ago. So, you know, at least she has the courtesy to, to knock on the door. But then my question is, is, how does she know where they are? If they, you know, left, I mean, you didn't see this, obviously, but they left Holly's office and went apparently to Ellis's office, but they didn't say to anybody, we're going to Ellis's office. We're going to find a place to wash up. So somehow her secretary had a homing beacon and knew how to find her. 
and knew to knock on the door. She was opening every door. Hello, and she saw a couple making sweet love. She opened up another door, some other thing. So eventually, she. Uh, she like, oh, I finally found you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it could be. And then she goes, Miss Gennaro, I, I excuse me. And then like she looks at John, and he just smiles and says, "Hi." <laughs> you know, it it makes it sound as if, you know, she she might recognize who he is. I mean, you'd think that if she's you know, Holly's secretary, she's seen the picture, you know, whether she thinks it's, it's Holly's brother or, you know, and there's a niece and nephew in the picture, it doesn't really make a difference, but you know, she knows that this guy is in the picture. <laughs> so yeah. whoever he is, you know, maybe, maybe she's, you know, taken phone calls from him at some point or called him, you know, they, I'm assuming they've had conversations over the course of the, the last six months besides, you know, right before when he decided he's coming to to la for christmas i don't know uh-huh yeah we don't know was this did she did hire jenny as soon as she moved to cal was jenny given to her by the company that she works for now and it's possible they've never you know yeah, yeah their the relationship between mclean and uh jenny is uh vague and mysterious yeah yeah no for sure but but when they look at each yeah. other it looks as if there's some sort of recognition between the two of them uh, a, a, a fleeting bit of of recognition. Like, Who knows? You this know. is that loser who's been calling and yeah. I've been having to deflect him from having to speak to his wife all the time. This is this is the guy she ran across the country away from. Yeah, you know. mm-hmm. <laughs> sure she's yeah. heard all sorts of horror stories about yeah. what a jerk he is. Yeah. That brother of mine, <laughs> you know, made me take my niece and nephew <laughs> and run across the country. Yeah, he has problems. Yeah. Probably. And then she says, uh, Mr. Takagi is looking for you. Now, Takagi, since you don't know this, is the head of the company mm-hmm. who we met earlier. We met him uh, last week. You know, Mr. Takagi is looking for you. He wants you to say something to the troops. So, again, this once again shows that she is very high up. You know, she's being offered the, the opportunity to, to go at this Christmas party and give a speech to all of their employees. So she's not just yeah. a run-of-the-mill business business woman here. She's very high up. You know, Public speaking is involved. Yep, exactly. And then she, like, uh, shrinks away and, uh, you know, leaves. You know, she, mm-hmm. she, she leaves the room. And Holly thanks her. And, you know, she she's happy that she's got uh, an out from, from this uh, argument with John right now. And she goes, speech sure. time. Yeah. Be back in a few minutes. And then she just, uh, you know, gets out of there. Yeah. You know, she's, she, the two of them, they've all reached a very uncomfortable situation. I think, yeah, no, she could feel the tension in the room. And obviously the two of them, you know, are, everyone is somewhat relieved that something has broken this tension and that Holly now has to leave the room. And she just, you know, leaves. And John then turns around and bangs his head three times against the board doorpost. You know, which might have just been easier for him OCD. to say. OCD kicking in. Seriously. You know, he, or he could have just said Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. You know, one of one of those things. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, he, he realizes that he probably shouldn't have started the argument. You know, I think I think that guest room is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> based, based on the, you know. You know, I I can say I'm in a happily I'm in a happy marriage, and if I get into a fight like that, you know, I'm I'm concerned. He's not in a happy marriage, 
if he's getting into a fight like that, things are going to be even worse for him. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a tough hole to be in. Yeah, exactly. And and then he he starts to uh, deride himself a little bit, and he goes, "That's great, John. Good job. Very mature." And then he he picks up a towel and begins to wipe his brow, which I guess you know having this heated argument got him a little sweaty. Yeah. Did he show up to this discussion wearing his white tank top, or did he change into it during this? He took he took off his shirt. He okay. beforehand he was wearing a shirt. He came he got into this office and he took off his shirt and he took off his shoes and he took off his socks. So Why he's did basically he his shirt? because he was basically uh, giving himself a a, uh, a sponge bath from the sink. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. He was, he was, he was, we saw him wiping, wiping his body with the towel. You know, I guess, I guess, you know, after being on a plane for four hours, he came directly from the airport. So it must have, you know, and, and come on, it's, it's LA in December. So it must be boiling hot. You know, (laughs) he was sweating and, you know, couldn't take a shower. So he's going to, you know, dab himself with, with the, uh, with the towel. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Who knows? Changing into his iconic, his iconic white tank top. Apparently, well, it, that's an important, uh, that's an integral part of of this movie, that he has this, oh, this yeah, white totally. tank top. You know, uh, the 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 rumor is that they had seventeen different versions of the tank top that he needed to use throughout the course of this movie. Hmm. Yeah, because of the because it would get dirtier and dirtier and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, last week we had a discussion about uh, the slang term for that for that t-shirt it's an a it's an a shirt not a t-shirt and uh-huh. it's it's known as a wife beater i've heard that term before yes and we we actually went into the history of why it's called a wife beater hmm. it's 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 a it's based on an incorrect uh assumption <laughs> all right i'll have to go back and listen to those there episodes. you go there's a teaser for anyone who's missed the you know, last week's episode with with Alan Sanders that, you know, he and I had that conversation. So I, I, if I remember correctly, it was on Friday. But it, yeah, of course it was on Friday because that's when he started to, uh, you know, started to pat himself down when he took off his shirt. Yeah. So there you go. Mm. So, yeah. So anyone who's interested, you can go back to Friday's episode and and hear hear what we have to say about that one. Check it out. Uh, yep. And then uh, we get a shot of the Pacific Courier truck driving down the... Mm. The, the the street and comes right at us as the minute ends. 3D, as we yes. said. Yeah, yeah. It it does look 3D, doesn't it? This really scared audiences back in 1989. They were like, people were ah jumping out of the way when the the the, the, the button thing went right to the uh, screen. But yeah, especially when they were wearing more. those those paper uh, 3D glasses. You know that that that, yeah. that those of us who grew up in the seventies and eighties, uh, you know, know a lot about. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't have the the cool plastic ones that they now have. Or actually, do they still make three D movies? I remember. You know what? I don't know. I think the last movie I saw in three D was was Avatar, so that was like two thousand nine. So I guess when the new Avatar comes out later this year, maybe I'll get to see that in three D also. I, I'm never I was never a fan yeah. of three D movies. Are you, were, were, no, did I you enjoy three D movies? No, I avoided it whenever I could. Just looked murky and and yeah, dark. I I never so. found it to be really 3D. Like I didn't feel the things were jumping out at me. I, you can see the things are jumping a little bit out of the screen, but not 
you know, not into my lap type of thing. Yeah, it's not like I ever left a 3D movie being like, wow, I, I'm i glad I saw that in 3D, except for like Avatar. Like, I've never seen a 3D movie where I'm like, boy, I wish, I'm glad I saw that in 3D instead of like nothing really. Yeah. You know, very few effects do I remember being like, oh, wow, look, that really, you can really feel the 3D. So, yeah, uh, I, I think part of the. Glad the... That, that is died away for now yeah i think part of the the draw for 3d was just that they could get more money for each ticket <laughs> oh totally yeah yeah but whenever i had the choice of 3d or 2d i always still go with 2d you know yeah. I, I also stay away from the 40s I, I don't like you know you're sitting and watching a movie and, and water starts flashing on you and stuff like that you know oh one of those like you sit in the chair and yeah. rocking around yeah <laughs> I, I think i i think i was in, i saw one movie like that i can't even remember what it was but i was like okay i don't, I don't need that so <laughs> Yeah. So do you have anything else for, for this minute before we get into the script? Uh, well, I guess, is this the last time we see Bruce Willis for the week, I think? Possibly? Um, I believe so. Yes. I feel like the rest of the week we're mostly focusing on the bad guys. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to call... Wait, there are bad guys the, in this movie? Uh, I thought this movie was just about this this couple, you know, arguing about whether they should, you know, where they should live. Whether they should live in New York or L.A. You know, it's it's I got exciting news for you. You know, I'm going to die if I have to live in L.A. or I'm going to have to die if I have to go back to New York. I think that isn't that what this movie's all about? Yeah, the, the choices we all face. Um, <laughs> I uh, I just wanted to call attention to the uh, delightful shiny gold wallpaper lining this office. I guess this is you said it's an yes. office, not a. Yes. I assumed it was a hotel room, but uh, no, it's, an it's an office. I love the gold. Shiny gold wallpaper, very uh, very late eighties uh, looking. So uh, nice, yeah. Nice, I mean, nice the, attention the to emblem, there. the emblem of Nakatomi is is always in gold. So I guess that that might be part of it. Oh, the gold, you know, the in, gold shiny in, in the beginning of tomorrow's episode, we'll be able to briefly see the the symbol. So maybe yeah. you'll, uh, you know, maybe maybe you'll get to check that out and see what the symbol looks like for the Nakatomi. The wallpaper has gone out of style. Do people use wallpaper as much anymore? I don't think so. I think people prefer to paint or or like yeah. maybe put like fake bricks on their walls and stuff like that. Yeah. Eh, I'm sure it'll come back. Uh, probably. It's all cyclical. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> okay, so the the script there again, the dialogue is it's they've an extended conversation here between John and Holly. So Holly says, Didn't we have the same conversation in July? Damn it, John. There was an opportunity out there. I had to take it. No matter what it did to our marriage, my job and my title and my salary did nothing to our marriage except change your idea of what it should be. So you see here she specifically is mentioning the things that are bothering John, her job, her title, and her salary. You know? yeah. And then his response is, oh, here it comes, one of those meaningful relationship conversations. I never should have let you get those magazine subscriptions. So, mm. Wow. <laughs> he's, I guess he's a let her get that, <clears throat> Exactly. He's, you know, what what type of magazines is she reading that that is he concerned about? You know, is this good housekeeping or is this like seventeen or <laughs> <laughs> any news whatsoever? She is, she yeah. is. Uh... No, it's not news. I I believe he's talking here about women's magazines about. Uh, oh yeah, you know, no, but yeah, about you know being able to go out on your own. You know, women's lib type of magazines. I guess he's referring to them. And then her response is, you want to know my idea of a marriage? It's a partnership where people help each other over the rough spots, console each other when there's a down. And when there's an up, well, hell, a little goddamn applause or an attaboy wouldn't be too hard. And then she says, I needed that, John. I deserved that. Okay. And, 
Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> she needed Oops. to be told attaboy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, she would have been really thrilled if John said to her attaboy. <laughs> attaboy, Holly. <laughs> never never Good job. to read those magazines. Apparently. Yeah, it's true. And then the, the description in, in the script says there's a clumsy pause as if she's about, she's almost challenging him to say something, but he sets his jaw, says nothing. Just then the door opens and Ginny leans inside. Miss Gennaro, Mr. Takagi is looking for you. He wants you to say something to the troops. Thanks, Ginny. I'll be a second. Oh, this is, and then McLean, Mock Bright, it says Mock Bright Radio Voice. Hi, John Gennaro here. I'm the sensitive and supportive man of the 80s. Weird. <laughs> Very weird. Ginny looks puzzled, goes out. Holly sighs, moves to the door. I'll be a few minutes. Wait here. Don't I always? She's gone. Immediately, he slaps his forehead. Contrite. McLean to himself. Schmuck. <laughs> so obviously, there are a bunch of changes in that one. Yeah, yeah. lots of changes in that it one. Like what up out on the screen. Yeah, I, I mean, I think maybe it would have been I, I, most of this I would have completely cut out also. But I, I think the one thing I might have left in there is her little diatribe as to, you know, what a real marriage partnership should be, because that that is spot on. And that that would have said so much more about these two characters if they would have let that in. But they didn't. Yeah. So that's it. You know, <laughs> I don't make the editing choices. You know, John McTiernan did while he was checking wiretaps. So, yeah, never know. <laughs> Apparently, what critics are saying, and he was like, exactly. we should cut that scene out. So maybe he's maybe he's listening to us. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest will give a little story about an adventure or misadventure of something that they happened to them over the course of their lives related to some sort of holiday. So you have a story for us, Alex? I do, uh, and it's a Christmas story, which is appropriate since Die Hard is, as we all know, a Christmas movie. Um, do you know the, that? Uh, <laughs> I'd heard, I'd never seen it, but I've heard about it. Um, <laughs> this one probably would have been 2009, maybe, to maybe the December, maybe Christmas of 2008. Uh, we had just gotten a pug, our first ever dog, and uh, we loved him. His name was Wrigley. And um, we went to go visit my parents in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, my mom likes to make a bunch of cookies and, and things like that to bake for Christmas. And uh, we took our eye off the pug for just a few minutes. And in that space of a few minutes, he went into the kitchen, climbed up on the kitchen table, uh, and then proceeded to start eating a tray full of cookies from uh, from our Christmas table. And uh, we, we, we busted them and we were like, oh my gosh, we were worried because there was some chocolate on some of the cookies. And as uh, your listeners probably know, uh, chocolate is not good for dogs. In fact, it could actually kill them. So we were worried. Luckily, he made it through the night okay and, and uh, just seemed to have a bit of a tummy ache. And uh, <laughs> we know this because... Um, a lot of the cookies, they were different colors and stuff, you know, food coloring and whatnot. And uh, when our dog pooped the next day, it was almost like a rainbow colored, you know, Play-Doh, fuzzy pumper barbershop kind of effect. So it was uh, it was a Christmas miracle that on Christmas morning he was pooping rainbow poops. So uh, there you go. That's my Christmas, delightful Christmas story ending, culminating in a dog pooping rainbows. That's really Very cool. Christmas. 
<laughs> exactly. You, you woke up to a, a nice little Christmas present. At least it wasn't in your stocking. Uh, yes, that would have been that would have been substantially worse. So uh, thanks, Wrigley, yeah. for uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rain, rainbow poop. That sounds interesting. I, I was going to say, um, I, I guess you should be happy that uh, whoever baked the cookies, you know, skimped on the chocolate. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. Or they didn't put as much in as as you thought they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't real chocolate. It was, uh, you know, mock chocolate. But mock uh, Okay. Mock chocolate yeah. still gives you rainbow colored poop. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, great. Do you want to tell people once again how they can get in touch with you? Well, uh, I am the host of two podcasts. I host the Star. I host the Star Wars Minute podcast, and I am also host of the Godfather Minute podcast. That's where me and my brother go through the Godfather movies one minute at a time. Uh, we are currently uh, waist deep into Godfather 2 as of this recording. We only do one episode a week, so it's taken us a long time to get through Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. But we hope you'll check it out by going to godfatherminute.com or find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. While you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using to listen to this show. And finding me is quite simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find my website. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. yippee ki